Hi, I'm Paul Jay. Welcome to the analysis.news. Uh, we're getting near the end of the year. If you're considering giving a gift, end of year donation, we are a 501c3 in the United States. Uh, if you're not in the United States, uh, you might donate just because we're trying to have some influence in the United States and the whole world's fate, unfortunately, uh, rests to a large extent of what's happening in the United States. Uh, God help us all. And it's not something I usually invoke. At any rate, if you can donate, that'd be great. Subscribe, share. Be back in just a few seconds to talk to Colonel Lawrence Wilkerson about the situation in Ukraine and Russia. According to a New York Times report, Russia demanded on December 17th that the United States and its allies halt all military activity in Eastern Europe and Central Asia in a sweeping proposal that would establish a Cold War-like security arrangement, posing a challenge to diplomatic efforts to, quote, defuse Russia's growing military threat to Ukraine. Uh, now, that's New York Times language, not mine, but at any rate, back to the New York Times piece. The Russian proposal, immediately dismissed by NATO officials, came in the form of a draft treaty suggesting NATO should offer written guarantees that it would not expand farther east towards Russia and halt all military activities in the former Soviet republics, a vast swath of now independent states extending from Eastern Europe to Central Asia. Further down, the timepiece reads, they included a request for a NATO commitment that it would not offer membership to Ukraine specifically. But NATO officials emphasized that NATO countries will not rule out future membership for any Eastern European countries, including Ukraine. Now joining us to discuss the Russian proposal and the current tensions on the Ukrainian-Russian border is Larry Wilkerson. He is the former chief of staff to Secretary of State Colin Powell. He's a retired professor and a regular on the analysis.news and many other news and academic platforms. Thanks very much, Larry. Good to be with you, Paul. So what do you think of these Russian proposals? Maybe put them in some context for us. I think Putin's doing what he feels like he has to do to at least in the verbal sphere, uh, counter the things NATO and principally its major major member, America, are doing. I don't think they make much sense. I don't think they make a whole lot more sense than what we're doing. Um, both sides now are acting uh, a lot like little boys in a sandbox. Um, but we started it all, as Ambassador Jack Matlock made very, very clear uh, recently. We started it all, and we're paying the piper now for having started it. And rather than diplomatically and otherwise back down slowly and surely, and maybe do a few mea culpas, um, we just keep exacerbating the situation. And as long as we do that, Putin will exacerbate it equally from his side. Uh, define we started it all. Well, we started it all when we made a, a, a very, very verbal agreement uh, when I say very, very verbal, um, people are criticizing it because it was verbal and not written down on a piece of paper. But I always thought uh, a diplomat's word was his bond, especially when it was Secretary of State, as it was Jim Baker for H.W. Bush and President H.W. Bush himself. When we told Mikhail Gorbachev and by extension, Boris Yeltsin, and Edward Shevardnadze, who was then the foreign minister for Gorbachev, that NATO essentially would not go any further east 
and implied strongly that it would not gain any significant membership beyond its current members at that time if Gorbachev agreed to the reunification of Germany and its retention as a unified Germany, the Soviet Union, Russia's worst enemy, worst nightmare. Um, if, we, if, if he agreed to that, putting them back together and, and, and letting them be a member of NATO, uh, we would not move any further east. Uh, that was a sac sacrosanct bargain uh, as far as I'm concerned, and I think H.W. Bush, where he's still alive, would say the same thing. And, and so would uh, Edward Trevor Nazi and Mikhail Gorbachev. Um, now, there's, there's some people there's, that that is being disputed in certain quarters. But when you work for Powell, either at the Joint Chiefs or you work for Powell at the uh, at the State Department. That was our understanding. You never had any doubt that that was the understanding. No doubt whatsoever. In fact, I remember a, a, a really animated conversation with the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff in his office about, wouldn't it just be unbelievable if Russia were not just, because we had assumed observer status was a given, if Russia were not just an observer at the political and military meetings of NATO, she became a full-fledged member of that alliance in both its manifestations, political and military. And I think he was very serious in, in his uh, uh, joy at the prospect of that happening. He'd just come back from uh, Warsaw, where he'd spoken to all the heads of the former Warsaw Pact country's militaries. He had told them that he served a country. He was very uh, elated about having done this. He served a country whose constitution hated him, hated the military that the founders of the country did not like the military. They did not want a standing military and so forth. And that they, they as they became non-communist and were absorbed into the, the, the more healthy fabric of Europe, would have to learn to live with leaders who probably didn't like them either. <laughs> I mean, this was, this was a euphoric time. This was a time- well, What year are you talking about? We're talking about 90, 91, 92, all the way up to 92, when even H.W. Bush begins to cool a little bit, because I think he perceived that Gorbachev was not as forthcoming as he had sort of promised to be. But it was easy, and, and Powell and I, I think, saw this. It was easy to ascertain why Gorbachev was having real problems. And, you know, you, you can't go around emptying the, the honey cart, as it were, and not expect to have problems from some of the bureaucracy around you who lived off the honey cart. Uh, so why didn't Russia, Soviet Union, then Russia, why didn't, once it's a capitalist country, uh, what, you know, the supposed raison debt, and I say supposed because I want to explore what the hell the real point of NATO was and is, but the supposed rationale for NATO was that you have this, you know, communist threat. So either why didn't, Russia enter NATO, or why not get rid of NATO? We began immediately doing things that made Russia, even under Yeltsin, doubt our word. Um, I think probably the crusher for Yeltsin came when we were operating in the Balkans in such a way that Russia felt it needed to get in there at least to put some troops on the ground and counter our military weight, because after all, that was there near abroad. That's the way they looked at it. Those were Slavic peoples. And 
he couldn't even get overflight rights from the countries that were between him and Russia proper. And that infuriated him. And we even went out of our way, so to speak, trying to expedite the way they could get in there and so forth, even though we did have a, a contretemps on the ground when General Clark very unwisely said that, uh, you know, he would probably have to oppose the Russians coming into Pristina. And we suddenly uh, uh, opened up an airway and let them come into Pristina. But those were those were times when the end of the Bush administration and more so than anything H.W. Bush ever did, Bill Clinton became a creature of the military industrial complex. Um, he already was. I think everybody knew that who, who knew anything about the governor at all and b began to promote this, not just uh, come into the, uh, the the NATO preparation plan, come into the, uh, what do we call it? The, the, the Alliance for Peace or whatever. I can't remember the term we use, um, but get ready to be a member of NATO. And by God, we could sell F-16s to 10 more countries and things like that. And suddenly we were Russia's enemy again. We were not only Russia's enemy again, we were a very front-leaning in the foxhole enemy. Um, when you talk about my president, for example, George W. Bush going to Tbilisi and announcing publicly that Georgia would be a member of NATO in the future with Shalagasvili right beside him, the young president of Georgia at the time, and smiling you know, to the cameras because here was the president of the United States saying Georgia would be a member of NATO. Well, what did Mr. Putin do? He carved off a little section of Georgia in the next month or two. And he still owns it as far as I can tell. Um, that was stupid. That was idiotic. That was moronic. It truly was. And yet we did it. And look at now, we have 30 members, I think, in NATO, including Montenegro, Latvia, Estonia, Lithuania. Uh, this is an untenable alliance. It, it'll fall of its own weight. It'll topple of its own weight. But uh, I'll tell you this right now, when you tell a Texan or you tell a Coloradan, or you tell a Montanan, or fa in fact, almost any American, that they are going to risk nuclear war over Riga or Montenegro, the first thing they're going to do is ask you where the hell they are. And the yeah. second thing they're going to do is tell you you're nuts. And yet that is what we have done. Article 5 extends to these countries. I think there's a lot of people in the American elites and even in the military that must be thanking uh, the gods of war that Ukraine is not in NATO right now. Yes. Because the last thing on earth, the Americans or the British, and they've made this clear, is they want some obligation to go send troops into the Ukraine. Right. Or, as I said, ultimately, to give them a nuclear umbrella. This is nonsense. This is absolute nonsense. And this business of uh, the rumors that were circulating around last week, which is what the deputy defense minister of Russia really reacted to, um, that we're going to put something like Glickums back in Europe. You remember ground launch cruise missiles from Ronald Reagan's days and the, mm. the fury, even amongst some Europeans, because the Germans were saying, you're going to put those things on our territory? Well, we know where the nuclear weapons targeted at them are going to hit. <laughs> and, and we're talking about that again. We let some rumors out that we we're going to counter their tactical nuclear weapons with on-the-ground tactical nuclear weapons of our own. Submarines aren't enough. We tackle it that way. This is nonsense. It's not nonsense. It's utter 
crass stupidity. It's deadly and dangerous. Yeah, the, uh, it wasn't that long ago when the U.S. war strategy was, if there was any, and maybe it still is, probably it still is, that if there was any real uh, direct on-the-ground military confrontation of any size, I think it was, what, one battalion or something between American and uh, Russian troops, it would actually trigger a full-scale nuclear attack on, on then-Soviet Union, I, I, I guessing still on Russia and China, for that matter. Uh, well, those are how, that's a little bit ahead. of an exaggeration, I think. Uh, you know, well, Al, Al, Al Ellsberg says at least back in the day he was working for RAND and advising uh, the Air Force and Pentagon, that was the war strategy. Uh, that wasn't the war strategy. That was the ultimate fallback position if the war strategy didn't work. <laughs> Powell's Fifth Corps was on the full to gap, facing 10 of Bulgarkov's most deadly armored divisions, which would slice through the gap and, and be in Germany very, very, be in Western Germany very, very quickly. The plan was an active defense with conventional weapons and so forth. But many people, probably including Powell, though we never talked about this particular issue, thought that that would inevitably not be elastic enough and not be because we're, again, we're operating on exterior lines and they're on interior lines. It would not be very uh, successful. And then the ultimate plan was, yes, to nuke the spearhead, at least, of the Soviet forces. And that was it. Nuke the spearhead with tactical nuclear weapons. Hope they stopped. Indeed, a reflection of the very strategy that in the latest maneuvers of the Russians is theirs now. Were NATO to invade, the situation sort of turned around. Were NATO to invade, they have said, and in doctrine they officially announced now, that they're going to hit the points of the invasion with tactical nuclear weapons. You said just a few minutes ago that this, the NATO expansion op opened up all these markets uh, for American weaponry. Yes. I mean, is that and really what the hell the point of NATO is? Because that's, that's half of it. And you know, this is so ridiculous too, because in many respects, the American taxpayers paying for those weapons because Poland and Hungary and Czechoslovakia or Czech Republic and Slovakia and others are so heavily subsidized in order to be able to buy the weapons because the weapons are so damned expensive. So you got the American taxpayer in there, not just paying for the U.S. forces, but also paying for at least a portion of the other NATO forces and what they get. So it's a way of raising the military expenditure without it showing up in the military exactly. budget. Exactly. And Lockheed Martin doesn't care whether they get paid by the taxpayer through Polish auspices or directly by the taxpayer. They still get the, the money. At the start of the interview, you said you thought both Putin and the Americans or the Russians and the Americans were like playing in the sandbox here. But don't you have to parse the Russian position like, the, the Russia's demand for the non-expansion further east of NATO, not including NATO, Ukraine and NATO, do you not think that's a reasonable demand? Oh, I, I think they have the greater, they have the lion's share of rationality. Um, and, and Putin is operating basically the way I would operate on a grand strategic scale. I would not tolerate this. I, I, I would say I would not tolerate it. And I would try to come up with ways to make my word believed but he's operating 
from a very difficult position. He really doesn't have a whole lot of cards to play other than Gazprom and his gas station in Germany and others' dependence on that energy source. Um, and all of that is morphing and changing so fast that I wouldn't count on that being as volatile and as important uh, as it is today, five years from now, seven years from now, whatever. Um, and you got other pipelines being built and other pipelines that are going to be pumping too. I was looking at the sketch of them the other day. So he doesn't have a whole lot of cards in his hand. And so he's got to be a little more bellicose and a little more frightening. Uh, I suspect he feels that way when he does do things because he doesn't have a whole lot of cards. If you listen to Admiral Burke's webinar, I think I mentioned this on one of your other podcasts, when he was talking about how many naval forces he commands and how much really military might he has. He's the, he commands all the naval forces around that area, standing Atlantic forces, the U.S. Atlantic forces, all the NATO forces, standing force, Naples, and so forth. Probably more naval power in relative terms than anyone since the French fleet and Nelson met at Trafalgar. I mean, incredible. And he said it, he said it. Russia has no allies. I have lots of allies. How much do you think all this has to do with the uh, Nordstrom II oil pi gas pipeline? The uh, Americans have made it very clear they don't like the fact that Germany uh, has made this deal with Russia. Uh, if I understand it correctly, the pipeline circumvents the Ukraine, uh, which is a, a big deal, I guess, to the Ukrainian economy. And also Ger Germany is doing this in defiance of the United States. Uh, so well, how much of this? Sorry, go ahead. No, it's it's not just the energy coming to you. If you transship, you get transshipment fees too. So that's right. one of the things that was being looked at in Afghanistan, for example, to increase Af Afghanistan's economy. Um, this 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 is really nonsense too, because and and Trump did this. President Trump did this. He canceled one of the most uh, powerful reposts to Nord Stream two. In fact, to the whole business of Gazprom and Russia having so much uh, power over Europe, especially Germany. Um, Dominion Power here in Virginia, second only to Duke Power on the East Coast is the largest public utility, was building a 12 plus billion dollar facility on the East Coast. It was their future, largest future investment that was gonna produce the liquid uh, gas and it, it would go basically for the first decade or so overseas and make a lot of money for Dominion and a lot of money for stockholders and shareholders and so forth and begin to diversify East Coast power, at least in the interim fuel of natural gas. Trump canceled it. He canceled it just right out of the blue. And environmentalists, and of course, and others just leapt on it and said, oh, wonderful, wonderful. This is terrific. This, this is splendid. And Congress leapt on it and said, oh, this is splendid because they were going to sell to Europeans. And, you know, like the Jones Act says, you can't sell. To, you can't build something that you're only going to sell to Europeans. That's terrible. That's terrible. So Congress went on. They're brain dead, Paul. They're stupid. Or, or the GRU and the NKVD, the two Russian intelligence entities, have a lot more influence and power than I thought in this country. Why would Biden pick up this opposition to Nordstrom too? I mean, what, Germany and, and Russia have a perfect right to make a, a deal together. 
Why make such an issue out of it? Like the whole American position seems to be so provocative. And, and to what end? And another item you might bring up is that if Iran were allowed to finish its oil pipeline and its gas pipeline, uh, you could relieve a lot of the pressure that way. But oh, no, because that would be the Ayatollah making money. You know, <laughs> this is this is the way we do business, Paul. We have no common sense and we certainly have no international sense. Look at China. The Base Road Initiative, in all its configurations, whether you're talking about Central Asia, or you're talking about the Maritime Road, or you're talking about the sort of tributary road in South America or whatever, that initiative should be encouraged, it should be helped, it should be curbed where it becomes vicious or predatory, like us. And it should be that Chinese money, which now tops everyone else's money in the world, is put to good use doing things in the world that develop people, states, economically, help them to create a good situation for their now, in most cases, poverty-stricken people. That's what the Base Road, Base Road Initiative is, Marshall Plan on Steroids. Now, what did we do? We treated it as if it's a vicious attempt to challenge our superiority in the world, economically, financially, and otherwise. Well, we lost our superiority in the world in almost every respect a long time ago. But it, it is that. It's trying to hold on to the status quo and challenge the person who is, in fact, challenging the state that is, in fact, challenging that status quo. But we should be working with them. We should be making the Base Road Initiative as positive an effort as possible because it has just incredible money behind it. All right. Let's go back to the Ukraine and then we'll do another segment on China. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sh just straight one simple question. Should the United States, should NATO declare that Ukraine will never be part of NATO? I'd leave it um, vague. I, I wouldn't go that far. It's kind of like the, the, the strategic realities with Taiwan. I, clarifying things like that in diplomacy or even president to president or foreign minister to foreign minister is almost never a good policy. You let things be understood and you let things be uh, clearly understood, but you don't promulgate them like that. I, I just think Putin should back down after we assure him diplomatically behind the scenes that Ukraine will never be a member of NATO. Now, a long time ago, we had an opportunity, and maybe we still do, but I, I said when Victoria Newland was saying F-U-C-K, the Europeans and so forth, brilliant woman that, um, I said the situation in Ukraine is really getting out of hand. This is when, this is right before, uh, right before the attempted coup. I said we should have a studied neutrality in Ukraine. And what I meant by that was neither the Russians, nor the Americans, nor the Europeans muck in Ukraine. Leave it alone. Let it be neutral. We drop the adjective, you know, or the article, the Ukraine. It's no longer that. It's Ukraine. Ukrainians are very specific about that. It's Ukraine. It's not the Ukraine. So let it be Ukraine. Let it be neutral. Leave it alone, everyone. And let's get some things like the Minsk agreement, I thought was going to do a little bit of this, but 
get some things in writing where we can more or less assure that the major effort on the part of principally Europe and America and Russia will be to leave Ukraine alone. Let them decide on their own path. Now, here's the problem with that, of course. They are the most corrupt government on the face of the earth, and they show no signs of getting out of that corruption anytime soon. So you're going to constantly have the corrupt leaders saying, oh, I'm with Russia. Oh, I'm with Europe. I'm with the United States and so forth, because they can make political hay out of that with a certain portion of their electorate. You got, you, you've got to be able to tolerate that, and you've got to put some, I think, combined effort in there to teach them how to govern themselves. And how dangerous, how dangerous is all this if the United States doesn't do what you're talking about, and it sure looks like they're not going to? I think I, you cannot find any major strain of foreign policy for the last 20 years in this country, executed by this country, that looks sane. I'm serious. We have not done anything that looks sane. Well, the only rationality to it is there's a lot of money being made. A lot of money being made by very few people. Yeah. All right. Thanks for joining me, Larry. And thank you for joining us again on the analysis.news. If you can, please donate to support what we're doing. It certainly costs money to do all this. Uh, subscribe, share, tell your friends. Thanks again.